Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Bring, bring it bring it Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, this is Kos. Uh, I write for Calcio Mercato. These football times have even started off with uh, writing some stuff for Manchester Evening News as well. I'm on Twitter at Kos underscore 17. Hi guys, I'm Jim. I'm the uh, Leicester City fan for the EPL Roundtable. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at JimKnight88. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. Um, obviously, this is a big FA Cup weekend. Uh, sometimes we don't put out shows this week, but we wanted to this week. Uh, and so we'll start there by asking you guys how important the cup competitions are for your club. Is it something that you perpetually chase every year? Do you tend to rest your starters and play the kids? Just... How important are these domestic cups to your clubs? Yeah, I think it is probably the most important thing we have this season because if Soja does win a trophy, he pro- I think he will be the next Manchester United next season and uh, the next Manchester United manager next season. And I feel United do have a very good chance of that. N- not just because the FA Cup is United's only chance of winning a trophy at think time, but because City and Chelsea are the only big two teams left and the other pro- others other a lot of other Premier League sides have already gone out to smaller sides like Millwall knocked out everything yesterday and uh, Fulham were knocked out as well by Oldham and the and a lot of the other sides have gone out as well including Tottenham and Liverpool as well and I, I think United are taking the FA Cup seriously like we do every season and the way we played against Arsenal it really showed the way we played and the way we approached the game we really like it gave an impression that this United side is very good in managing games as well because there were instances where it seemed that we might just concede and I'm sure that if this was Jose Mourinho's time, we very well would have conceded in that in that game. But the way we managed the game and the way we set ourselves up, I think we really are serious about winning this and I think we have a very good chance of that. Yeah, unlike cause, I have very little to say about the cup prospects of Leicester City this season because we aren't in any of them anymore. <laughs> uh, we we actually didn't even make it through the third round of the FA Cup. Um, got knocked out by Newport County, um, who who uh, had another creditable result at the weekend, holding Middlesbrough. Um, so fair play to them. But yeah, we I think the one that really stung for Leicester City uh, this year would have been the quarter final against Manchester City at home. Um, we rotated uh, relatively heavily, um, which is the second time in as many years that we've done that. Um, we, we we faced Manchester City last season as well um, and chose to, to heavily rotate. Um, and I mean, for me, it, it's frustrating as a fan because I think certainly outside of the, the top six, especially with uh, Solskjaer coming in at Manchester United and galvanising them and their prospects for, uh, you know, not only looking at top six, but potentially banging on the door of top four now. Um, 
which I'm sure will be a particular worry to the likes of, uh, of Chelsea and Tottenham, who are um, in those top four places at the moment, but potentially under threat, particularly Tottenham, I guess, with their uh, injury situation and Chelsea's lack of um, scoring ability. Um, I'm sure we'll come on to that later with Higuain. But in terms of um, Leicester City's prospects for, for the Premier League, we're not going to finish any higher than seventh. Uh, which occasionally brings with it a European place as well, based on who wins the Cups, etc., uh, etc. Et but, uh, yeah, I, I'm very frustrated that Puel didn't take the uh, the, the um, Carabao Cup in particular a bit more seriously. I think if you get to a quarterfinal, uh, a home quarterfinal against, all right, against Manchester City, one of the, certainly one of the best two teams in England at the moment, um, who, who played a rotated team themselves, um, and we took them to penalties, got a draw in normal time. It just feels like a missed opportunity there. Uh, not to go a little bit more full strength. Um, or, or, or I, I can't really see a reason for not going full strength. It, it comes during a busy time of the, the season. But I also think a lot of the fan base would be quite understanding if they went full pelt and got beaten and then had to rotate players who played a couple of days before in a league game over Christmas. I think that's probably understandable. Whereas you know, rotating half a team, losing on penalties, and then seeing that Manchester City draw Burton out the hat, win 10-0 on aggregate in the semi-finals, and are playing Chelsea, uh, are playing Chelsea um, in February, you know, at Wembley. Mm. That's a real opportunity for a club like Leicester because our ceiling is seventh. We're not going to finish any higher than that. We're highly unlikely to get dragged into a relegation battle based on the first half of the season. So not to take the Cups more seriously is a little bit frustrating. And then obviously to have that defeat compounded a few days later or a couple of weeks later in this case by going out to Newport when, again, a big rotated team. I have less of an issue with the team at Newport because that team should have been more than good enough to put Newport County away with all due respect. And I just think they were um, disinterested, uh, not motivated or, you know, just just didn't look um, up to it and got duly punished by a team that were on the day better than Leicester. We created a lot of opportunities which were basically just shots from distance um, and Newport actually got a little bit of penetration and, and in the end got what they deserved, uh, which was a place in the fourth round. So, yeah, as a Leicester City fan, it's a real bone of contention at the moment because Puel was winning very few fans um, over with his style of football. So, it basically comes down to results and while we have had some impressive league results, um, I think a cup run would have really helped sedate some of the fan base who were quite vocal in their displeasure at his um, uh, his team selections, his substitutions, uh, and just general kind of playing style, really. Yeah, uh, it is also particularly damning that after rotating against Newport, then you lost against Southampton after that. Like the point yeah. of rotating is right, to yeah. is to prevent stuff like that. But we'll we'll get to. Uh, Pule here in a in a bit. Um, for Tottenham, I actually agree with a lot of your points there, Jim, and think it's kind of how Pochettino views it. Um, and when you rotate that much, even if the players are okay, the the lack of communication can cause a lot of issues. We certainly saw that in Tottenham's performance today. And, and Pochettino hasn't ever really valued um, the domestic cups. It seemed like he was getting closer. Um, with a semi-final each of the last two years, one in the Carabao Cup, one in the FA Cup. Um, but then again today, it was a perfect example of how he doesn't. It's like he rested Christian Eriksen, didn't even include him in the squad because he said he was tired. But if this was a Premier League match while we're still battling for top four, do you think he would have rested him? I, I personally don't. Um, and it's it's really starting to become problematic because it seems like he doesn't take them seriously until he does. And then often by that point, 
um, it's either too late or we're facing much tougher opposition that we aren't able to clear uh, even with our first team. Although, admittedly, against Chelsea, we were heavily um, depleted due to injuries. But the players on the pitch didn't perform that well. Um, and I do think a lot of that is, like, you can add Lorente to our starting 11 if just Kane is missing and it be okay. Or you can add in Kudu if Sun is out as long as Kane's up front. Or you can add Oliver Skip as long as the other midfield pieces around him are secure. But throwing all of them in in the same match um, doesn't really get you very far. And that's that's what we learned today. And so, yeah, in a four-day stretch, Tottenham are out of two cups. Um, which certainly is not a great feeling and, and kind of implies what the thoughts are on them uh, by the manager. All right, uh, Chelsea having a much better week in the Cups than Tottenham are, obviously winning against us uh, midweek, going on to win again today. Um, also, it was uh, Gonzalo Higuain's first start. Uh, he took three shots, none of them on target. One of them was blocked. Uh, that looked like it was at least goal-bound. Um, but curious to hear you guys' thoughts on whether or not you think Higuain is the solution to Chelsea's striker woes this season. Um, as much as I want and feel that Higuain will succeed, his fitness will probably be a major, a massive worry. And if there's anything that can stop him from succeeding, it's, again, his fitness. When he came to Milan, the reason why you went to sold him wasn't just because he was too old and everything, but because his fitness was wearing off and the newer knew that and they saw it in the way he was approaching games and they and the way he was training. And just to make sure that they get as much money as they could out of a possible sale for say a twenty nine or a thirty year old, the Juventus went ahead and sold him and not many transfer decisions that Juventus make go wrong. And at Milan, he seemed to have lost his confidence completely. His fitness never really allowed him to be as mobile a striker as he used to be during his Napoli days. He seemed to have lost his spark. Well, he, I think he did score six or seven goals. He was almost like a shadow of himself. There was this time when he moved to Chelsea. Before he moved to Chelsea, when the Milan players were in Dubai, vacationing during that New Year break. But Higuain was in uh, Buenos Aires during that time, trying to get his fitness back. And there was a Milan fitness coach with him to make sure that he is fit again. And he did receive a lot of stick from the AC Milan sporting director, Leonardo. And even, I think, Rino Gattuso gave him a lot of criticism during that very period. And even even when he was about to move to Chelsea, he said that he never really had his heart in playing for Milan. That's what I think Maurizio Sarri said yesterday as well. And, and, all, and I think uh, it's, again, one more thing is that Higuain will have heart in this. He will give his all because it's, again, a manager who brought the best out of him at Napoli, Maurizio Sarri, and he will do everything for him. And we can only hope his fitness gets back because it's not really allowed him in the last one year or something to be as mobile. And he lost his confidence a lot of times because of that, especially at Milan during the um, gold rods he had, especially in the Europa League. In the Europa League games, he looked very poor a lot of times when they lost to Olympia Cost and I think the Real Betis as well. And one great thing that I think will connect with the Chelsea fans that Higuain has is the fire and hunger that he has about himself. He, they sometimes will find him very similar to how Diego Costa was. And although he might not be as dirty that, as Costa was, but he can be a very aggressive character. And he hates losing and he loves to score goals. And once he gets going, he's just one of those characters that is very tough to stop as much as Diego Costa was. But it's just that his fitness will be a major worry. And 
And more so if you've got to look at the man that Higuain will be replacing, anything is better than how Alvaro Morata was. And since Sari loves Higuain and Higuain loves Sari back, this can work out very well indeed. Again, if his fitness is okay. Yeah, I think he's one of those players that needs to feel loved. And I don't think that was ever the case, uh, particularly at Milan. Um, he didn't look particularly uh, motivated and interested. And I think occasionally you'll see players' heads will drop when that's the situation. And as uh, as we've said already, as Cor said, that, you know, Sari got the best out of Higuain in that, I think it was 2015, 2016 season when he was at Napoli. And I think he got 35 goals that year in 36 league games, which, um, you know, is brilliant. Um, I'm not saying he's going to get one in one for for Chelsea, uh, but certainly he offers them something different compared to the uh, Murata Giroud um, axis that they've been working with um, over the last four or five months or so of the season. Um, I think it's it's purely a case, I guess, of Sari trying to uh, stamp his his authority and will on a squad that he came to fairly late in the summer. Uh, because of all the issues around, you know, Conte's contract and, and getting Sari into the club, they put he probably came to Chelsea a good few weeks behind, um, after uh, when the, the the Stamford Bridge hierarchy would have wanted him to be there. So um, it, this is the first real opportunity he's had um, to to look at the strikers that he's got at his disposal and make changes on that basis. Um, if if he can motivate Iguain, I, I can't see it being a bad thing. You know, he's it, certainly no worse. Uh, than what they've got at the moment. It's just that, they, you know, I think it masked the problem when Hazard started so incredibly well. Um, you know, it, it, when he was on his, his red-hot streak and scoring what seemed like every week, um, it was kind of masking the issues of having that fo- a lack of a focal point through the middle. Um, and it, it really doesn't get the best out of Hazard if he's the one trying to, to forge that point at the top of the attack. He needs to be supplying the ammunition for someone else. Um and Higuain looked, you know, in as much as you can look half decent against um, Sheffield Wednesday in an FA Cup fourth round. He was dropping very deep to pick the ball up. And, you know, maybe that will be just a symptom of him coming into a new setup and looking to get involved as much as possible. Maybe after a few weeks training, he'll kind of understand more the, the team dynamic and look to make those more incisive movements in behind the defensive line um, and have a little bit more impact that way. But I think it all just comes down to someone that Sari knows. It's a bit of a comfort blanket for him, I guess, to go back to a striker that he knows he's got the best out of previously. Granted, that was a few years ago. Um, and Higuain, you know, is probably as a power diminishing compared to his, his peak at that point. Um, but Chelsea just needs someone to, to, to be that player in the final third and, and get them a few goals because at the moment they just look very, very uh, stunted um, in, the, in the attacking third particularly. Um, and... If he can get a half a dozen, seven, eight goals between the Premier League goals between now and the end of the season, uh, plus, you know, potential impacts in the cup and things like that, then I'm sure it will be a worthwhile move. I would I would be interested to see if it goes relatively well, whether they look to secure his services next season as well um, and kind of go and make, and make it a, a more permanent arrangement to see whether that's something that could be worked on even further. Um, again, it's... It's a difficult one because you're never really sure with Higuain. Um, you can never really kind of guess what, what where his mind's at. But I think if anybody can motivate him, Sari can, uh, based on what we've seen. And it, it, it gives him a good chance to, to implement a more 
um, kind of bustling centre forward um, presence than they've got at the moment. As as Cor said, he, he brings maybe something a bit more like the Diego Costa mould, not in the disciplinary sense, hopefully, in the kind of angst sense, but certainly in, the, in the, his kind of movement, his aggression, and his his will to to win and score goals. Um, I don't think that can necessarily be a bad thing. And let's be honest, you know, he's starting from a, le- a very low floor uh, in terms of I- increasing their output in attack at the moment. So he's in a kind of favourable position where he's probably going to be given plenty of time um, relatively. No one's going to be on his back after one or two games if he's not scored because the output that we're putting out in that final third for the last few weeks particularly has been really low. So hopefully he gets a good chance at it. And if he gets a few goals, then maybe he'll be Chelsea's leading man next season as well. Yeah, that, that would certainly be very interesting to see. I can't help but feel like Giroud has to be wondering what Higuain has against him personally after Arsenal tried to replace Giroud with Higuain there, <laughs> and now Chelsea have done it uh, there. And it seems there, there are quotes that will be coming out uh, as people have heard are hearing this that, that will have come out by then, um, where he talks about how uh, his chances at Chelsea are darkening, uh, which is a very interesting wordage. Um, Next up, uh, we'll talk about the transfer window. Obviously, Higuain was one of those transfers we have until Thursday uh, before clubs can no longer make any moves, although most Premier League clubs haven't uh, started yet. But uh, I'll ask you guys. We've obviously been asking most guests as they've come on uh, here this month. Uh, do you think we'll see any signings at each of your clubs? Um, as much as I would want us to make a defensive signing, I don't think we will because... All the, probably because all the defensive targets we have, be Nikola Malinkovic or Kostas Manolas or Kalidou Koulibaly, all of them, I don't think they these are players who will be made available this month, especially because um, the defensive cover we need, they should not be on the level that Phil Jones is or maybe Chris Smalling is. And if we, say, go for someone who's not as good as the three defenders I just mentioned, and these since these three defenders are someone we really are after, it's better to not really sign a defender. Because if if we really want, the whole point of having a new defender currently is just to make sure that we raise the bar of standard that the centre-backs currently have at the club. And a lot of times when Mourinho's United, they relied a lot of times on their defence because obviously because of the way Jose likes to play the game. Whenever we sat back and tried to defend, there was always this moment when you thought that that's when we are going to concede. And it's because of those. And a lot of times it was also that uh, a lot of the big games that we played in, uh, there were a lot of slip-ups that we did defensively. And although I think Wick Lindelof has established himself, himself as United's first choice, and I think once Eric Bailly gets a good run into the side, and and, and I do expect him to... Uh, say kick on because he did very well against Arsenal so did Lindelof and I think they currently should be United's first choice but uh, it's just a case of increasing our defensive standard and as much as I would want us to uh, bias the centre-back for what's left of the January transfer window I don't think we will and secondly the right wing need that we have currently um, the way Sovja is playing it's the forward three that we have in the 4-3-3 shape there pretty free-flowing. So that somewhat eliminates the need for having a proper right-winger and Lukaku somehow, very strangely enough, he did a very good job as a right-winger against Arsenal. Although that won't happen long-term like 
Lukaku won't be our first choice right winger. And we will need another proper winger. And I know wingers are a dying breed in the... We still would want, say, Douglas Costa, who I'll give 60 or 70 million for, for how good a player he is. And I don't think anything's going to happen this month. Interesting. Uh, just on uh, center backs, it seemed like Baye was probably closer to leaving the club than getting another chance, but he's seemingly getting that under Solskjaer. Do you think he, he's a little bit more locked in to stay there long term now? I think so, yeah. It's, Baye has had a lot of injury issues. And under Jose, whenever he say played well, he had one bad moment because of which Jose dropped in, especially the Brighton game. I know that game was a proper disaster and it was almost thrown out of the first team lineup since then and he never really made a return after say he I think he made an appearance in um, the League Cup and the FA Cup games and that was when he was seen and I think Bai probably deserves this go and he probably is our best proper centre back. He is better than Victor Lindelof on his day and he um, may not be a ball playing centre back but he is someone who can complement the way Lindelof plays. It's a bit like the way Vidic and Ferdinand used to play. One's a ball-playing defender, the other is the more of a battling centre-back. And if we do get this defensive pairing together, playing, and if they are playing well, I think you probably will have a very good defensive line as well. Since, obviously, because Luke Shaw is, has probably cemented his place, his place on the, in the left-back position, and Ashley Young... It's doing very well at right back under under Sosha. Interesting. Uh, Jim, you think we'll see anything from Leicester? Uh, doubtful, I think. We've been linked with a few players, but that always happens. People need something to write about. Um, I, I think part of the issue... We've seen people like Vicente Bora uh, leave already, went back to Spain, was struggling to settle in Leicester, so uh, went back to Spain with Villarreal. Um Andy King has potentially been linked with a move away. I know Martin O'Neill's been um, linked with him, having taken over at Nottingham Forest, which would would break my heart to see uh, Andy King, a Leicester legend, move to, to Nottingham Forest. But you can't begrudge him the opportunity to get first-team football because he's just not been anywhere near the squad. Um, there was talk of bringing Danny Drinkwater back for, from Chelsea and things like that, but I just can't see anything really happening. Um, certainly not of any magnitude. We might bring the occasional youth player in, I guess, if someone crops up on the radar, but I can't see anyone in terms of like a first team or even a squad player really uh, being brought in before the end of the window, um, mostly because uh, Puel has been afforded quite a bit of money um, since he, he started at Leicester in terms of acquiring his desired targets. So I don't know if there's a massive appetite to give him more of that money, um, particularly with his position. I wouldn't say in huge jeopardy at this point, but certainly his long-term future in doubt. Um, and this might be something we, t- we touch on at another point, but I just I don't know if the, the, the ownership... Um, having been through what they've been through this year, are are hugely keen to give him a a, a big transfer budget um, to, to spend in January, um, or or one at all, to be honest. Based on the fact that we have spent money uh, in the last few transfer windows, some of it well, some of it definitely not very well at all. Um, and uh, with the the league position, as we kind of talked about in the in the cup segment, with that league position being fairly solid, you know the chances of, of us finishing any lower than, say, 12th or 13th are pretty slim, I think. So it will be somewhere between there and 7th, I'd imagine. 
Um, so with that kind of unlikely to develop into a relegation battle, I think the club will view it as we've got enough to get through the season. Let's see how we're set in, in June um, after the season's concluded and then we'll kind of work on from there. Um, and, you know, not necessarily bringing anyone in January based on, you know, we've not got huge injury problems to worry about or anything like that. So, yeah, I can just see it being quite uh, quite slow on the, the transfer front for most clubs, to be honest, this uh, this Thursday. Yeah, I am thinking that uh, we may actually see something at Tottenham, um, which would be exciting considering uh, we haven't signed anyone since Lucas last January. Um, so it would certainly be a boost. If I had to guess, I'd say probably one in with two out, um, with Rabio either definitely or definitely not happening, depending on who your sources are. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if that lands anywhere. Um, Posh did discuss in his presser this week uh, the need to bring in British and homegrown players. Um, for people that are surprised by that, it's worth noting that uh, Dyer and Davis don't count as homegrown. Um, which may surprise some people. Uh, we do still have an extra Champions League spot that we can fill um, with Dembele having moved on to China, although that could be filled with Foyth. Um, so we'll see if that's what happens or, or if we do try to target somebody uh, to bring in there. Um, if pressed, my guess would be Jensen and Nkudu, who's actually gotten some minutes, uh, go out um, with then maybe Bowen coming in from Hull. Um, and then, again, you can either 100% believe or 100% not believe uh, Rabio is coming, depending on where you're reading uh, your information. All right, now we will take a quick break, and then we'll be back with questions for each of our guests. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. All right, and we are back. Cause we'll start with you and talk a little bit more about Manchester United. Uh, you referenced earlier eight wins in a row under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Does it feel like, to an extent, the magic is back at Manchester United? Um, I think it's a bit too early to say that, but in a way it has because a lot of the smaller sides, um, they sometimes seem to be 1-0 mentally down as soon as they start facing United. And that was one of the things that the magic of the old times was about. Teams were mentally wandered down as soon as they stepped foot onto Old Trafford. And I just think that, and the reason I just, I'll say that it's, it is a bit too early to say all of that is because it's just been two games, eight, eight, sorry, it's been eight games. And eight games is a very short time to say judge any manager or judge anything in football, be that it can be, say, if, I think if, just because we won eight games doesn't mean that we should appoint Solskjaer, but the way he his presence has struck a chord with United fans is 
one of the big reasons why uh, we are saying that he should be a, a manager probably from next season on. And I just think that we probably will get 10 and 10 as well because the next two or three fixtures that we have coming up are pretty easy. But the toughest game that we have and the game that will probably be a test of our real self will be against PSG. And, and I really hope that, and I think that we will give a good account of ourselves the way we are playing and considering the fact that Neymar will probably be out and Marco Verratti too probably will be out. Although I've read that um, he's told some of his friends that he probably will be in the side. But I think we will do well in the, in the next cup, in couple, say couple or the next three or four months. And although I won't say the magic is really back, everything is really positive. But again, it's too early to say that. Fair. Um, during the Arsenal-United match on the American commentary, at least, um, one of them implied that Sir Alex might be pulling the strings a little bit himself. Do you think there's any truth to that at all? Yeah, I think there is. A lot of stuff that's being said in the English media says the same because I think he's visited the training ground twice or thrice. That's what the reports say. And even David Gill's been coming to Carrington to oversee training and maybe just advise Ole about some things. And since uh, Mike Phelan's there, he was a proper Sir Alex Ferguson soldier. And it's just that it seems like a proper family now. The way the the United players celebrated against Arsenal, not just the Lingard dance, what happened after that, the way they celebrated and and every time United score is it it isn't just Solskjaer who celebrates on his own the way a lot of other managers do in the Premier League or even otherwise. It's a whole group in there on in the dugout that celebrates. They hug each other and celebrate with each other. There's not just one man who's celebrating and pumping his fists. It's it seems like a whole proper family the way it was under Sir Alex and. It's almost like the way Barcelona and Ajax used to do. They had this culture that they managed to carry forward from the Johan Cruyff era. They brought in a manager with a similar philosophy. You knew the club from having played under the previous manager. It was Cruyff, I think. And the way Cruyff came to Ajax after being um, taught at Barcelona and Ajax by Rinus Michels. And it's very similar to that, although commercialism and globalization was in, in the game never really existed during those times. This example shows that somehow United have stumbled on to their idea of football, their values and their trademark ethics all over again. Interesting for sure. Also, uh, you referenced um, the match on Friday where uh, Lukaku was playing pretty much on the right. Alexis also <laughs> gets a goal. Lukaku gets the brace. How far away are either of them from recapturing a spot in the starting eleven? I think um, Solskjaer, I think, in after the first game that we won at, won at Cardiff, Solskjaer was the first person to say that he will give everyone an equal chance. Although uh, the way Alexis and Lukaku played against Reading in the FA Cup was were not too good. But the way they played against Arsenal showed that if they really want to win, they will score goals and they will do good things in the pitch. And I think in, in the Burnley game, they probably will start again because uh, we've seen what Martial, Rashford and Lingard can do when they play together. We, but we are yet to see completely what the trio of Lingard, uh, Lukaku and Sanchez can do playing behind, playing in front of a similar midfield when they play regularly, not just in the FA Cup but in the Premier League as well. 
and against an opposition that will not really say attack as much as Arsenal do and will leave their defense exposed. But against a side like Burnley, who like to sit back and sit deep, play long balls forward to their two men up front, it will be really interesting to see how they fare. And I think they should start those both them games. Cool. We'll definitely keep an eye on that. Uh, Jim, coming to you now to talk about Leicester. Um, there are uh, desires for Claude Puel to leave Leicester uh, coming from the fan base. This is not the first time that we've talked to you about this. It's not even the first time we've talked about it from when he was uh, at Southampton. Uh, so curious to hear what's happened now uh, that the fans are once again kind of calling for his head. I think it's just a continuation of the same problems we've spoken about before. I think he... <clears throat> the issue with Puel is he doesn't ins- well it's not it's a difficult one because he doesn't inspire a lot of confidence in i think the fan base in terms of his uh, media facing persona he's a very quiet quite reserved uh, manager and very rarely shows um the um the kind of uh, the fire and the passion that i think some fans would want from their manager not that that necessarily makes you a better manager if you react like that i think with with Nigel Pearson we showed that that reaction isn't always a good thing uh, and actually can be quite a negative influence if you, your manager is uh, kind of flying off the handle the whole time. But I, I think mostly it's the problem with the play style. Um, he, he is quite a defensive coach. And although although we won the Premier League playing a kind of counter-attacking style of football, um, I think the, there's more of a kind of slow play, deliberate build-up um, in this current uh, crop of the um, uh, of the of the season. No, look, it's it's a difficult one because we just concede the first goal so often. Um, I was doing some numbers the other day, and it was uh, I think it was fifteen of the last twenty three Premier League games we've conceded the the first goal. Um, it put, and we have won a decent amount of points from behind, but part of that is because we're behind so often that we've actually had to kind of scrape points and wins from, from losing positions. Um, it, it, it's, it's almost like the team don't really come out and play in, in an attacking sense until we're 1-0 down, which is a really kind of defeatist way of going about things. Um, and it just doesn't inspire much confidence. I, I, to be honest, I, I'd be interested to, to maybe gauge, it, it's difficult to do this, but I'd be interested to gauge quite how much of the negative um the negative connotations with Puel and, and his playing style um, have, were born out of the way that he left Southampton in the sense that it was almost like a poisoned apple. Um, you know, he the line is that he was sacked at Southampton despite finishing eighth and getting them to a cup final, which, to be honest, they were, unlo- they were unlucky to lose against Manchester United in that Carabao Cup final um, as well. So whether or not that cup win, if they'd won it, would have saved him or not, I don't know. But I think the fact that he left Southampton under su- such a cloud, um, you don't often see a manager um, sent, you know, on his on his way after achieving a season like that. So I don't know quite how much of that has carried over to the Leicester fan base, where he's really never been able to win them over um, because of the negative association that he brought with him from that previous job. I must admit, I didn't watch a lot of Southampton when Puel was there. Um, but uh, it, you know, if this is this sounds very similar to basically the reasons that they let him go, and I can totally understand why because 
I think clubs have ambitions and one of those ambitions is to, to play entertaining football. And it, it's a bit of a cliche because if you go down um, playing entertaining football, then you're probably still going to get the sack. <laughs> but what clubs do want is, you know, all clubs fans in particular want is, is entertainment. Um, and while we have had some really memorable wins this year, um, like we talked about earlier, the, the Chelsea win, the Manchester City win over Christmas, we had a good little period. Those are... You know, they, those perforate runs and spells of form that are just really uninspiring where you'll lose at home to Cardiff, um, you know, or we'll lose to, to, to clubs that we really think we should be beating. And although the points tally might be the same as if you'd won those winnable games and lost the, the more difficult ones, it that always makes it really difficult because it always feels with Puel like it's one step forward, two steps back, or maybe one step forward, one step back, and you just end up in the same place where... The fans are very negative. His substitutions occasionally get booed. You know, the players get booed off at full time, um, like they did against Southampton over the Christmas break. And it just seems like we're going round and round in circles. And I can't see anything that Puel is going to do snapping that negative cycle, which kind of means that he's always on borrowed time. He's never going to get that fan um, that fan support back. And how long can you go on without that? You know, I, I don't, like I said, I don't think he's in imminent danger. I don't think he's going to get sacked, you know, next week or even next month. But I think his position is really under threat come the summer, mostly because if that negative fan feeling towards him is still there, and I can't see how it won't be based on his kind of managerial, um, his philosophy and the way he sets his teams up, he's not going to suddenly about face and turn into this kind of Jurgen Klopp disciple of heavy metal football and all out attack and high press. Um, and it's it's just difficult to see where he goes from there and whether or not the board will, you know, he'll want signings in the summer, um, without a doubt, you know, as every manager does. Do the club give him another 50, 60, 70 million pounds to spend if that fan reaction is going to carry on and they don't feel like he's the long-term solution? Probably not. Um, but then where do you go from there? And also, I think one of the key things here is the player power at Leicester City. Um, our players have conspired, shall we say, to get a couple of managers removed from their positions. I think that's abundantly clear, um, particularly in the case of Ranieri and later Shakespeare to a lesser degree. But those those situations have come up. And I think we were almost in that position just before Christmas. And then there was a couple of big results that kind of turned the tide a little bit. But it is you know, it might well be in the hands of those players coming towards the end of the season if there's very little to play for. If we've got a run of six or seven games towards the end of the season, which don't ultimately affect the finishing position all that much in the sense that there's not a massive difference apart from a small monetary amount relatively between 8th and 12th. Um, you know, whether or not they, let's say, take their mind off the job and that ends up costing the manager his job, I don't know. But it's... It's very, very difficult to see him getting out of this um, this funk, if you like, because he's not going to change the way he plays. And if he doesn't do that, he's not going to get the fans on side. And it's just become a, vic a vicious circle that we keep talking about at regular intervals and nothing ever seems to change. Yeah, it sure seems that way. And uh, we'll, we'll see if any change is made long term. Um, on a much brighter note, uh, I was going to mention this during the transfer thing, but you, you've established a pretty young core, which is probably one of the reasons you don't really need to dip into the transfer market. Uh, so I'm just curious to hear how um, the likes of Gray and Ndidi and Chilwell and uh, Ihe Nato are developing, and then obviously Madison, who you bought in the summer. 
Yeah, it's. I think this is probably one, and I should have mentioned this earlier, actually. So thanks for bringing it up. But it's it's probably one of the things that's helped Puel um, with his his standing, at least internally, if not with the fan base, that he has this reputation of bringing through youth players, um, and it's it's something that he stayed very true to at Leicester. You know, Chilwell was on the scene before Puel arrived, um, but has become a a major part of that that defence. Um, Madison was brought in, obviously, from, from Norwich with a hefty transfer fee and has, again, kind of cemented that position, um, you know, sometimes playing wide more often than not as a number 10 behind Jamie Vardy. Um, and, you know, internally, um, in terms of that crop of youngsters, Ian Acho, I don't know where we stand with him. He's on. He must be on so much money and he, he costs so much money as a transfer fee. I almost feel like he's in the Danny Drinkwater situation at Chelsea where he very rarely sees the field. And if he does, his head's down. He doesn't look interested. He gets the cup games occasionally and looks even less interested than he would do coming on in a Premier League game when we're losing. Um, But the difficulty is, where do you send him to? Apparently, Manchester City put a buyback clause in uh, for two years when we brought him from there. And I'm guessing that was on the option that he scored 30 goals in two seasons and they might want him back. I'm guessing they're not going to want him back given his current mm. <laughs> his current predicament now. Um, it's certainly not something that we're going to be able to invoke to send him back um, voluntarily. But he he has regressed, I think, massively. And I, th- I just think he's failed to deliver. The, the issue with Leicester is that certainly... If, it's not just Puel signings. There've been signings from before that, you know, even from the season after the champion, uh, the season after the champions' uh, winning year. That big pay, big players for big money have very rarely delivered at Leicester. Um, we have spent a hell of a lot of money on just off the top of my head, the likes of Soleimani, Adrian Silva, which is a palaver from the beginning, Ahmed Musa. Um, Inacho would have to go into that bracket that have just delivered, not just under-delivered, but just failed to deliver almost entirely. Um, and they've just been a colossal waste of money. The value that we found has been in the middle ranking players, which have turned out to be much better value for money than their moderate transfer fees um, have kind of shown. Um, you know, the likes of uh, Mares and Vardy, they were before this, but the likes of Ndidi has been very, very good. Kind of gone off the boil a little bit this year and needs to kick on a bit more, but maybe that he's a victim of that Puel style because more often than not, we're starting with three defensive midfielders and that makes it very difficult um, for, for players in that position to shine. Um, Pereira has been very, very good this year. Um, but also, I think the main stars for this season have been the likes of Chilwell and also um, Hamza Chowdhury as well, who's kind of made himself part of the matchday squad. He's been around the club for, for years and years and years in, in the youth in the youth team. Um, and you can't really miss him because he's got that huge Afro hair that makes him very, very distinctive. So I think you kind of notice him a bit more on the pitch than perhaps you normally would. But there have been some really, really encouraging displays from him in the centre of midfield as well. Um, Papis Mendes had some terrible games, but he's also had some really good games as well, um, blown hot and cold. So while there is a fantastic uh, youth kind of core there, um, it's whether or not Puel's going to be given the opportunity to keep developing them. But it's certainly uh, certainly bright in terms of us, like you say, not having to dip into the transfer market every six months to buy players to, to bolster that squad because there is a nice um, a, a kind of production line of, of talent coming through. We recalled Harvey Barnes from West Brom um, in the January transfer window, which I think 
they see, understandably so, as a massive, massive problem um, at West Brom because he was absolutely tearing it up in the championship. And I just hope that bringing him back, I know he scored um, in the in the defeat to Wolves the other week, but I just hope that he gets, gets given plenty of game time because our wide players, by and large, really haven't delivered this year. Um, Albrighton is, is always kind of a stalwart and will always give 100%, but his numbers aren't fantastic. Ian Nacho, yeah, just don't even go there. Um, Gray, I think, has just stagnated as a player. I almost feel like he's still the same potential level as he was four years ago or three mm. and a half years ago when we bought him. And it's just he's just not kicking on in the way that you'd want him to be kicking on. And there's got to come a time where... He is surpassed by someone else in the pecking order and subsequently loses his spot. Um, it's all very well saying, you know, and we've had this with Chilwell, with the the kind of Chilwell over Fuchs debate. Fuchs is a very steady pair of hands, albeit a diminishing power. Chilwell is a very young, raw, attack-minded fullback who's going to make mistakes and he's going to probably cost you goals throughout the season. But that is part of his development. And actually, I think he's given quite a lot of, um, slack almost by the fan base and by the management because we know that he's a top class player in the making um, and we've got him tied to a relatively long term deal I think there's quite a lot of interest from Liverpool before we put pen to paper a few months ago for, for, for another four years um, and obviously him breaking into the England squad together with the likes of Madison and Gray as well um, when he had a bit of a, a purple patch earlier on in the season is, is fantastic for Leicester uh, because certainly when I was growing up there wasn't many if any Leicester players in, in the England squad and now you know we've we've had squads where there's been three um, and there could potentially be four if those players made it in and Maguire was in as well um, so it's it's a tough one with the youth players you kind of have to give them chance and I think Chill is one of the best examples we've got of a player who's showing that development um, but Gray on the other side of that spectrum is someone who really needs to start showing more uh, but just lacks the consistency to be able to hold down a place. And then that means he's not getting the opportunity. So it's a bit of a catch-22 situation. But he's had plenty of opportunities. He's just not shown any of the uh, of the promise. Well, not any of the promise, but not enough promise, I don't think, to justify continuing to, to, to hold down a place when you've got people like Barnes, uh, Madison uh, and Albrighton who are potentially kind of banging on the door as well for those wide positions. Yeah, it makes sense. And, and it does sound like it's still a very promising core. Like, you wouldn't sell Ihianacho at this point, right? You, you're just hoping that he'll eventually come good? I think we'd sell him if we got an offer. I don't think anyone's going to make <laughs> an offer. Because, because I, think, I think in the same way that Drinkwater is kind of trapped by his contract at Chelsea, by all accounts, Ihianacho is probably trapped by his contract at Leicester. Hmm. I would be amazed if he was on less than, say, £80,000 a week. It may be even pushing six figures because of the the um, reputation and the name recognition that he came in as this, you know, he had a fantastic goals uh, per minute ratio when he came yeah. in from Manchester City. He came in as this super sub who everyone thought was going to be the next big thing. It would not surprise me if given the transfer fee was kind of 20-something million, I think it was, if we gave him a contract of a similar ilk to the top earners at the club at the time, because they expected him to be the go-to striker alongside Vardy. So, uh, granted, he's he's a bit of time into that now, but it's almost like, given the level of, of his performance, or lack thereof, who's going to take him off your hands on a permanent deal 
it's almost like you have to loan him out and still pay the vast majority of his wages, as we've been doing with... We've had to do that with Musa in the past, and we've had to do it with Soleimani, um, to kind of get them out of the club by either offering a cut-price deal or offering to still pay a lot of the wages, which is kind of, kind of nullifies the point, I guess. Um, but yeah, I think he... I don't know. It may be a fresh, a fresh change of manager. Maybe if the manager changes in the summer, you know, he'll find a new, a new start, um, and he'll start to kick on because he is a real confidence player, and he just looks so devoid of that confidence at the moment that it's very, very difficult to see where he's going to pluck that form from to hold down a first team place. Um, but yeah, I think he he's kind of been held hostage almost by his contract um, because even if we got an offer. I very much doubt a club would match or come close to matching his current package in terms of personal um, contracts. And why would he leave for, say, a 50% pay cut um, or more just to, to, to kind of get that fresh start? It's perfectly understandable why a player would want to sit out. And we see it all the time. Players sit out long-term contracts on big money, despite the fact they're nowhere near the first team. Um, and I think he could eventually become one of those candidates because he just, he just doesn't show any of the... Um, any of the goal scoring poise or potential that we were expecting, um, you know, when he, when he came into the club, which is really disappointing because, you know, you see that he comes in with this huge reputation and you think, yeah, I think we might have one here. We, you know, we pulled the trigger and there's a lot of people at the time saying, you know, I think Leicester have made a really shrewd signing there because of what they'd seen at Manchester City. Um, and he's obviously got talent. It's, yeah. just, it's just not, maybe it's just not the right fit. Maybe it's just not the right fit. And, you know, it either needs Leicester to, to bite the bullet and take a, a deal for him and for him to maybe take a deal on the personal front um, or for something to change at Leicester to kind of reinvigorate that that um, appetite for, for scoring goals and, you know, looking a bit more interested, um, which is another frustrating thing from for a fan's perspective as well. He's not particularly popular with a fan base because of that. It's very mm. difficult to find someone who has that kind of... <sighs> I don't know, it, just a very negative body language and, you know, his head will drop almost instantly and you see him turn out against, you know, clubs in the early rounds of the Cups and it, it almost looks, I'm not saying this is definitely what he feels, but it almost looks like he feels it's below him to play mm. in those games because he feels like he should be commanding a, a, a starting position in the big Premier League games, which he's not at the moment. And more often than not, he's probably your second change off the bench after kind of 65, 70 minutes. Yeah. Well, well, we'll see uh, what happens with him. Obviously, he did come, as you said, with a lot of clout to Leicester. Uh, and it is interesting, the parallel between Tottenham and Leicester, with both of us having difficulty finding a decent second option. Um, sure. Yeah. Where you've done it with Slomani and with Musa, and then with yeah. Ihan Nacho, we tried it with Lorente and Jansen, and briefly Soldado, but he was already at the club. But it's just very difficult. Like, Would you argue that Okazaki has been better than all of those strikers you've signed? In terms of in terms of his um, in terms of his impact on Leicester as a club in in the time he's been there, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But, but and, that, recently, and that's crazy in theory. It is. But, it is in theory. He he. I mean, he brings something very different to any of those strikers. He what he lacks in physical presence and goal scoring talent, he makes up for an effort, which is sometimes the perfect foil. And was particularly during the championship um, winning season. Um, or, sorry, the Premier League winning season. He was the perfect foil to Vardy, particularly coming off the bench because he run he'd run at tired defenders and occasionally get himself into a goal scoring position. Um, 
Recently, he looks like he couldn't hit water if he fell out of a boat, which means that he's getting very little game time at all. Um, he's kind of slipped even further down the pecking block order than Iheanacho has. And now there's talk of him moving on, potentially. Um, I think the, one of the issues was that we got rid of Joa, who wasn't very happy with not getting a big bumper contract like a lot of the, the Premier League winning stars did. And we got rid, rid of Soleimani as well. Um you know, in very quick succession, which means that we really haven't got a plan B in terms of a big striker to aim at in in games where you're losing or you kind of you know you need a goal. Um, the the first change or the second change off the bench in terms of striking options is normally a inferior version of the striker you've already got on the field, um, which is why more often than not, particularly in this in the Southampton game where they were down to ten men in the first half, still managed to score a second goal. And, you know, we, we scored, 50, I think it was 55 minutes, like just into the second half. Most of the changes that Puel made were to throw on more wingers. I think we started the game with like one winger and ended it with four on the pitch. And it's just like they're crossing to nobody because there's nobody with any, any kind of intimidating presence. There's no one to aim at, um, which makes it a really frustrating experience. And I think that's part of the, that's another, it's another dimension of this frustration with Puel that, you know, the way he's constructed his attacking force is that we've got much of a muchness in that final third. There isn't really a big man up front that you can aim at. At least in Tottenham's favour, what you can say is Lorente is a target man. He might be an out-of-form, out-of-confidence target man, but he's someone to aim at when Kane isn't there. Um, and if, you know, if you start through with, you know, like a son through the middle, for example, with a bit more pace and guile, and then you change it to Lorente a bit further down the line, that gives the defenders something else to look at. The guys that we've got are just inferior versions of Vardy and <laughs> they offer very little in terms of a different threat. There's nothing different to worry about as a centre-back. All right, uh, well, we'll wrap up here with uh, Player Watch where I'm curious to hear who you guys think is the weakest link in your starting 11 currently. We'll start with you, Cos. I think it's probably Phil Jones because he's probably hitting the Johnny Evans side nowadays. Um, because a lot of times it seems as though he's playing the game of his life, but in the next two or three games he's he plays the poorest games of his life, and so it's almost like how Johnny Evans's uh, United career panned out. Although he wasn't really a first choice when Vidic and Ferdinand were there, then slowly started becoming a first choice. But as soon as David Moyes came in, he and Tom Cleverley became the prime scapegoats of the David Moiser, apart from obviously Fellaini, but um, it's just that Phil Jones is so error-prone these days, and um, uh, whenever um, say Eric Bailly is injured, and Chris Smalling obviously has a lot of fitness issues much like Jones himself, but is a better defender than him, and he deservedly has signed a new contract, although initially I thought that he should not, but I think it's good that we, sign- we have Smalling with a longer contract than Jones is because Smalling is a better defender than Phil Jones. I would have been tempted to say that Smalling is our weakest link, but whenever Smalling has played, he's looked very assured. And he is around the mold of what Victor Lindelof is. And it's just that Phil Jones tries to be a bit like Lindelof when he is more in that Nemanja Vidic mold. And he does a lot of errors, a lot of silly errors in not just the own goals and the sort of own goals he scored against uh, Spurs last season in the Wembley game that we lost 2-0. It was pretty embarrassing and scored an own goal in the Valencia game as well. He comes up with those 
really embarrassing moments that that make us lose games and defend better than we already are. All right, and Jim, <clears throat> it's a difficult one. This um, I was, it sounds bad, but I'm struggling to nail it down to just one player because of the way we're we're kind of showing our weaknesses at the moment. I think it's got to be someone defensively because we're conceding goals at a rapid rate at the moment, um, as that Wolves four three defeat showed. Um, there was just some laughable defensive showings in that. Um, I think probably it would have to be Wes Morgan if it was someone who started every week. I, I'd be tempted to say someone like a Danny Simpson who's been parachuted in at right back um, in terms of the weakest potential link, but that's mostly to make the most of um, Ricardo Pereira's attacking tendencies. And when I say attacking tendencies, the guy doesn't defend. He's essentially a striker who's been converted into a right back and just wants to become a right winger by default because he's kind of naturally drawn to that attacking third. So what we've done is put Danny Simpson in at right back occasionally just so that we've got some cover um, to let Pereira go forward with a bit more license. And to be fair, he scored some goals this year and got some assists. So I've got no problem with that. Um, and Simpson, to be fair, has been fairly solid. But I think certainly in the early part of the season, Morgan looked massively off the pace. I think he got sent off like twice in the space of six games or something. He, you know, he served his suspension, came back and got immediately suspended again for another red card. Um, and while he has been an absolute stalwart, a, the captain, you know, of the, and one of the leaders of the squad throughout one of the, well, the best kind of era in the club's history, he does, he's showing his age. And in this kind of era of attacking pacey forwards, he, he rarely looks kind of comfortable. Um, He's never looked particularly comfortable on the ball anyway, but even less so um, kind of as those years go on. Um, so, yeah, it, it's difficult with him because whoever you put alongside Maguire is is kind of, yeah, faced with a tough task at the moment, the way that we're playing. Um, and Maguire is a class act, centre-back, which we've seen both internationally and, and domestically. Um, but, but the go-to option if Morgan isn't there is Johnny Evans, which doesn't inspire you with a huge amount of confidence either. Um, but yeah, I'd probably say Morgan. It's worth it's worth mentioning Casper Schmeichel as well in that um, in that same kind of breath of weakest link at the moment. His his performances of late, particularly from a distribution point of view, have been woeful. Um, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why or whether he's been taught like told to, to to kind of play the ball out really quickly. But he's constantly getting he's constantly giving away. Um, really dangerous positions to attacking players by mishitting or misdirecting kicks um, and both off the floor and out of his hands. Um, so it's something, you know, that started to become a real problem. And I think he, you know, he just needs to work on that um, and, and try and sort it out. I don't like to say, you know, he's been around the block enough to know that that's not the way things are supposed to happen. Um, but it, it's a painful experience at the moment watching his distribution. It's just getting us into problems again and again and again. Um, but yeah, weakest link I think would have to go to Morgan, but honourable mentions have to go to Schmeichel in that same breath based on the recent performances. Mm. Uh, for Tottenham, uh, it's Kieran Trippier. Very, very easy. Uh, I talked to these guys before we hit record and said that he hasn't had a good game uh, since he played against Croatia and scored that free kick. And uh, that is about 95% accurate. There have been some moments since. Um, I, I think he scored an important goal in some match earlier this year. Couldn't even tell you which one it was. Um, but he has just been so poor. He, he has that tendency to m- make a mistake every match, the same way Kyle Walker did. But he had the pace to make up for it. 
And Trippier very much doesn't. So when he gets caught out of position, it's just a goal the majority of times. And it is happening more and more. And the thing that's really gotten the fans' attention about it is he tends to blame literally everything else around him. And the way we know that is because it's so visible. If he misses, uh, like if somebody flies past him because he's he's poorly positioned, he'll turn around and look at, at the center back like, wh- where were you? Or if one of the uh, defensive midfielders was meant to drop back and fill right, he'll be wondering where they are, why they haven't covered him while he made some huge gaffe. Um, and, and it's just very, very irritating. Obviously, uh, this could be seen as short-termism after um, the penalty miss and the performance he put in against Crystal Palace. But for people that where this is the first match they've seen him in a while... This is what the new normal is for him. It is not good. He he has very quickly been surpassed, in my opinion, by Serge Aurier, who still hasn't been played. Uh, the ratio, I would think, uh, belies their abilities at this point. I also legitimately would rather see Kyle Walker-Peters play than Kieran Trippier on the right right now. Uh, he is shaky when he's on the left. He did make a big mistake against Barcelona. But he's flashed his talent. He had that three-assist game for very weird reasons. Um, so for me, I, I think Trippier is easily the, the weak link in our club. And if we had the option to bring in somebody either at the bottom of that food chain behind Aurier and Walker-Peters, if we had the option to sign a young right back, I know Max Ahrens was linked from Norwich, and that meant that we would sell on from Trippier, I would, I would think that that would be the best choice. Um, because he he really is dragging down the team that much. And this is, I'm not mentioning Lorente, who has struggled so much uh, in the moments he's supposed to have been playing. Uh, Sissoko has actually turned into a decent player. So it, genuinely, it's, it's Kieran Trippier, and for me, it's not even that close. All right, uh, no time for match previews here, unfortunately. But guys, thanks so much for coming on. If you'd like to tell the people where they could find you or anything you're working on, now would be a good time. Hi, I'm Koss. I'm, I'm on Twitter at Koss underscore Pande17. I started writing for Manchester Evening News and get printed in the paper a lot of times these days. Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, I'm Jim. You can find me on Twitter at Jim988. Um, in my day job, I'm the head of content marketing for a company called The Zone Group. Uh, so we run a lot of media portals such as Goal.com and Sockway.com. So you can find a lot of my writing over there, uh, particularly with regards to uh, kind of betting and, and fantasy and that kind of thing. Uh, where we we focus on that area uh, in in my kind of part of the business. Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. I also write uh, uh, over there for Goal as well as ESPN and Fantasy Football Capacity, so check those things out if you are interested. Uh, Of course, on this very channel, you can also find the Championship Show, um, so check that out as well. Uh, Thanks to you again so much for joining us. It was a pleasure speaking with you, and we hope you keep listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.